0: Hey, what's going on, guys? It's Jesse again from Paroled from Hell. Today's episode, I just kind of want to just kind of give you guys a little background on myself and where I come from and kind of just kind of tell my story here just to give you guys a little more insight of the hell that I am now paroled from, if that is a funny joke, because I think it's kind of funny. But, uh, so my story begins... Way back in the day, a whole 31 years ago, uh, you know, I, uh, was born in a small little redneck town called Wellington, Kansas, and, uh, I was born to a wonderful mother and a wonderful father on April 12th in 1987, back when things were a lot more simple, but I don't really remember all that because I was just a baby, but, uh, you know, growing up, I never had, uh horrible time. I never had a bad childhood. I had an awesome childhood. You know, I have an amazing family still. And uh we were always such a tight knit clique and uh when it comes to families. So I never so a lot of my story and a lot of my craziness doesn't stem from just that. Um I uh my addiction really started, you know, when I was, you know, twelve or thirteen years old and I really just wanted to fit in with everybody and, you know, fitting in when you get to about that age is partying and drinking and smoking weed and doing all that fun, fantastic nonsense that, you know, with your immortal youth that you're never going to have to worry about letting go, even though it does go away, unfortunately. Um, First time I ever smoked weed, I was 13 years old. Uh, I hated it. I hated it. First time I ever drank was about that same age, too. I hated it. And, you know, it's crazy to think that I would grow to love these things so much. But when I first did it, I hated it. I did not like the way it made me feel. Like, I'd throw up every time I drank. I'd throw up every time I would smoke. You know, it was all just so overwhelming. But I've been fighting for this acceptance in my life forever and, you know, being able to party and hang out with these kids and do the things that the cool kids were doing I was able to fit in, like, people wanted me around like, it was it was something that I had strived to do, even though at times I fought it, because I'm crazy, but uh so I, you know, started doing that every once in a while, and then I had, like, this little tight-knit, tight-knit group of friends that pretty much consisted of my sister and two of the girls that she went to high school with that were in her grade. And uh, so I was a cool older brother that hung out with the young kids. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I remember we, we used to go down and we would, like, swing at the park and smoke our Marlboro Red 100s, like, we were fucking cool. And every once in a while we would go and we would get like stupid drunk and like smoke a little bit of weed and it was never anything that was too crazy back then you know I really started partying harder with things when I got to about the age 17 or 18 and uh, I started drinking more I started smoking a lot more weed and because when it all boils down I have a very addictive personality and when I ingest something that I enjoy, then that's when that, then that, that obsession starts to kick in and that's when I start to go crazy. And, you know, it got to the point where I was starting to enjoy being high. I loved being drunk and, you know, it started kicking in more and more that I didn't want to just do this because I wanted somebody to accept me for who I was. Like, I just wanted to do it to have fun and get drunk. And, you know, that eventually led me to harder stuff. But right when I graduated high school, I was hanging out with a group of guys, and uh, we had a little band. It's called Goodbye Morals, and we were this little emo band in the basement of some little store in downtown Wellington. And all we did was smoke weed and drink, and every once in a while, we would find something else to kind of do and get crazy with, but, uh, you know, I graduated high school, and that summer we, that was when, uh, I really hung out with those guys a lot, and then I moved to college, uh, in the fall of that year, and I moved in with my best friend at the time, who's still a very, very close best friend of mine now, uh, we moved in over there, and, I got into college life, and that's kind of when I really started to blossom into who I really was. I had got this new found confidence that I had never had before, and so I got over there and I came out as a homosexual because guess what? I'm gay. Uh, but so I came out and i really like had so much acceptance in that at that point in time in my life that uh that I really just thrived like I started really focusing on like who I want and who I want to be, not who I want, but who I want to be, who I am like, and what really made me tick of all people and you know, I, I thought I, w- I was over there on a full ride scholarship to sing in a choir, like it was awesome, life was awesome. I had a house and we had party huge parties at our place every weekend and I had all these group of friends and and this whole time I'm not paying attention to what's going on in my body. Like, you know, because I had awoken that you know, that disease, that crave that craving, that that obsession to drink and use and whatever I had, whatever I could get a hold of is what I wanted. And so I found out in college what boys and why I found out what boys were and I found out what partying was. And I, in turn, threw away my scholarship. I lost the place that I was living and I hooked up with some new friends that were definitely not the best idea to hook up with uh, because at that time we had started, really started to explore more boundaries in the drug world like I I did, I remember I did meth one time and I'm like oh this is crazy and I just, I, I didn't do it again for a while but I found I, I was that definite poster child to uh marijuana is a gateway drug because I, like, I went through phases. I went through, I smoked a lot of weed and then I did a lot of X and then I did a lot of Coke and then I did a lot of meth. And I never really mixed any of them. If I I did, I mixed weed with them all, but the majority of the time I just stuck to what I was doing. And so when I hooked up with these guys after I had gotten kicked out of high school, or getting kicked out of not high school, but college, sorry. And, uh, we kind of started fucking around with ecstasy a lot and I loved it. I loved every second of it, every minute of it even down to going and driving the hour that we had to go drive to get it and then come back and because I was so looking forward to that drive back because we would take our pills when we got them and we would drive back and by the time we were back it was on and you know I did a lot of crazy stuff And I did that for a while, for a good while. And I was doing a lot of ecstasy. And it just got to the point where we were doing it every single day. We were day rolling, we were night rolling, whatever you wanted to do, you know. But I was living the dream because I was having fun. And I had all these people that were there and that wanted to do it with me. And so, again, I go back to that acceptance is what I've always wanted what I've always craved and what I've always needed. And when I finally found it, it was such this crazy, like, explosion of feelings and emotions and, you know, happiness. I say happiness lightly. Because, you know, that all led down to where I'm about to take you guys in a little bit. But, you know, I don't regret my addiction, and, you know, I enjoyed getting high. There's a reason why I'm an addict, because I loved it, and that that whole time period was a lot of fun, and so it was about a year later, and we were still doing ecstasy really hard, and I decided that I'm going to go back to school, so I'm going to get better with my life, and I'm going to do something right, and... I'm gonna take charge again. And so I did, and this time I took out a gigantic private loan that they decided that it would be okay for me to just be cut a giant check, (laughs) and I was supposed to like buy a car and pay for my tuition and do all this stuff. Well I did none of that. I. Signed up for school, went to one class, and decided that I was not for me, and that I was not going to go back. And so I took my gigantic check, and I blew the whole thing on partying. Because the people that I was around at that time, I didn't see the fact that if I wasn't supplying the party, they didn't want to hang out with me. But in my mind, is I wanted to get fucked up, and I don't like to do it alone, so I'll go ahead and supply the party, and we'll just all have a fucking blast. And, you know, before I knew it, I really just... It didn't take me but two months to blow through this check, and it was not a small amount. And, so I blew through this check, and I thought I had a lot of really close friends and, you know, everything was golden and that when the money ran out, that they were going to, they were going to be there. Like they were going to have fun with me still. And that money ran out and very quickly they all dipped out. They all were gone. And I still did not see the fact that the people that I'm making friends with are only there because of the drugs. I still was so blind to this issue that I wanted that acceptance so much that I didn't care, you know? And so shortly after the money went out, I, uh, we went in, we uh, had been doing coke for a while, you know, because like our homeboy's dad had just had come into this like huge amount of awesome shit. And I was just dropping three, $400 every time we'd go see him and I'd go see him once or twice a day. And, you know, I was just, like, the cool kid. Like, everybody wanted to be around me because, oh, because I was supplying the drugs. And, you know, I, uh, like I said, when that money went out, when that money disappeared, that's when everybody else disappeared, too. And I remember one of the last bags that I picked up of Coke, I had my, uh, this my one of my new connects that I found because he was so cool. And uh, I had him go get me some coke and he came back and he said I can't find any coke but I found this and I didn't comprehend the fact that he said he didn't find any coke all I knew is he just handed me a bag of something and I wanted to do it and so he handed it to me and I'm looking at it and it's weird like why is it crystals like why is it rocks like and he was like just break it up and do a line don't worry like for real and I'm like inside I'm pissed off because I'm like man this dude just fucking ripped me off, like, I don't have any money left now, like, I don't know what the fuck I'm gonna do, and you know, at the time, like, we were doing rather large lines of coke, and so me and two of my little girlfriends uh, broke up these lines on this little mirror in the back of her car, and they were not small. And, and we, and I did that first one, and I was just like, oh my god, like, it was horrible, and they were like, Oh, I don't even know if I wanna do that, I don't know if I wanna do that and I'm like and I'm like at first I'm like, No, 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 no and then it started to kick in and then I realized that I had found something that I had not experienced like this before and it you know, I just I had talked them into it. I'm like, just do it, just do it, just do it And so we all did it and that sparked a very, very wild bad romance with methamphetamines and this was probably 2005 2006 2006 and it had gotten so bad that we were trapping ourselves in the apartment that we were in and like hiding in the windows and you know doing all those crazy shit and uh I had moved in with uh, we moved out of that apartment, and I moved in with another friend. And we had this couple, of, this couple that had come over, and they had a checkbook. And they decided that oh, like we're doing this and we're doing this, and like we're gonna go ahead and you know, like we're gonna go get this money. And I'm like, all right, but whatever. And they go, and they were successful with it. And I was like, like, give me one of those things. Like, I want, like, give me one. And so they gave me one, and I didn't know what to do with it. So I held on to it for a while. And then one day we decided that we needed some money. So I'm like, all right, I got this check. I'm going to go cash this thing real quick. And, like, high out of my mind, like, stupid, I drove to the bank that the check was from, went right up to the drive-thru window, and tried to cash this check where the account had been closed a long time ago. And that was my very first criminal activity to get dope. And uh, that's where my drug use leads me, is to criminal activity, and it leads me straight to jail. And <clears throat> so we, uh, so they, they told me that, that, that the account was closed, and I, like, zoomed off. And, of course, they had me on camera and everything like that. Well, they had found... I was driving my buddy's car, and they had found out where his... uh, where we were staying, where the car was parked at, because it was parked right out front, because we're so smart. And it was parked right out front, and I remember uh, one morning, we had been up all night long partying, and a cop knocked on the door, and there was, like, probably 15 cops outside, and... Of course, we we're all hiding, but I—they had known what had happened, so they all hid me in this closet underneath a bunch of tubs, <laughs> like stupid shit. And they—they they were knocking on the door, and they answered the door. They're like, "Is Jesse Brown there?" And I'm like, "They're—they're they're like, no, 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 no." And so they search the entire house, and they don't find me. And uh, so I—that goes away, and then, like the next day, I like got snuck out of the house, and. We went driving down this dirt road, and I like threw all my little baggies and all my pipes and everything out the window, like like I was some like big huge drug boss and so we're driving down the road, and we go to the my friend's uh one of my friend's house I about said her name, sorry, <laughs> we drove to another friend's house and we sneak me inside there, and I'm, like, hiding in the basement for, like, two days, just high out of my mind, like, craziness, like, every bump I hear, I know it's the cops. Like, every door opening, like, I know it's the cops, and just, like, stupid, stupid high. And at the time, I found out that I had a warrant for my arrest for a ticket that I didn't pay for, and so I'm like, okay, well, I'm just gonna I'm gonna turn myself into the cops here, but I wanna go take care of this ticket first, so I, like, Drive to drive to this place to get my ticket taken care of, and I get there, and, like, we deal with the warrant and everything like that, and everything's cool, so they let me go, and I drive all the way back home, and I was there maybe 15 minutes, and the cops come knocking on the door, and they arrested me right then and there. They took me in for questioning, and of course, like... I was young, and I'm like, I did everything! Like, I know I did it, I know I did it, and I just have a problem, and... But, I didn't believe that I actually had a problem. Like, I I just wanted to use that as an excuse, because I knew that it would work. And so, I... They let me go, and... I go back to the house that I'm staying at, and, like, everything is cool for a little bit. Like, I didn't stop partying. Uh, I had just found out what mushrooms were and so we were doing a lot of those at the time because of course when I do something I've got to do it 15 times and I have to do it to the maximum like I can't just every once in a while do something like if I find something I really like I've got to do it so much until it does not work for me anymore and so when I say my name is Jesse and I am an addict I am very very serious about the fact how of an extreme addict I am I don't like mediocre bullshit If I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it to it. I'm going to do it hard. And so I was, you know, it was getting pretty bad. And I had a friend who was going to move to Michigan. Because she had family that lived up there. And so we decided on a whim to uh, move to Michigan. And I think we did it in two weeks. Uh, But this was kind of like my escape to a new life and I started to kind of see that I needed to stop doing dope. Like I finally kind of see that this is not what I need to be doing. And so we up and move and I we moved to Michigan in 2007 and like the whole time we're still smoking weed and still drinking and you know but I wasn't doing dope. I wasn't doing dope. But I'll smoke a drink. That that's fine with me, cause I can handle that. And I moved to Michigan, and I get up there and about a month and a half. After after month and a half after I get up there, I meet this guy, and like it was a wrap. It was a wrap. Like that was my that was my dude. Like that was the one that I wanted. And you know, we we were together for six years, and. It was a very, very beautiful, traumatic relationship, I guess that's how I can say it. Like, we had our very, very high moments, but we had our very, very low moments. And it was very, very toxic. And But if there's one thing that I can, you know, thank him for is the fact that when we first got together, I told him about what was happening in Wellington, and he said, uh, if you do dope again, we're done. And so I didn't do dope for six years, you know, but I was still smoking weed and still drinking, but I wasn't doing dope. And every once in a while I would take some pills or I would like sneak some Coke at work or something. And, but I wasn't doing dope. I wasn't doing what I used to do. So I was good. Like I was happy. And, you know, that relationship quickly came to a very, Uh, back and forth end like we would end it and get back together end it get back together end it and get back together well in 2016 uh, 2013 I'm sorry 2013 my sister uh, developed uh, what they call a pseudotumor it's basically where her brain doesn't absorb her spinal fluid and it was collecting on her optic nerve and she ended up Uh, she ended up having to get a shunt put in which basically drew the fluid from the area of the optic nerve down into her stomach and so they put it in and then they had to go back in to uh, revise one of the tubes and when they did they didn't cauterize one of the wounds and so she bled on the brain and she had a couple seizures and like my sister's been my best friend since I was young and I was living in Michigan in time michigan at the time with him and i they called me and i they told me what happened and i flew back two days later and you know i was there i was like i'm gonna go there for a week and like i'm just gonna make sure she's okay and then i'm gonna come back you know i got the time taken off at work and he was real supportive of it and and i thought because we were in a good moment of our relationship where we have our pink clouds and our mud puddles but we were in the pink cloud moment of our relationship, and so I go down there, and Jenny ends up being in the hospital for, I don't know, probably a month and a half, almost two months, and I told him that I was not coming back until she was out of the hospital. And, you know, he flipped shit. He lost his, he lost it, and and I had just had it and so that was the end of that relationship like I did not go back to Michigan and so this new spark of freedom that was brought to me brought me right back to where I was because I was single and I was going to do what the fuck I want and nobody's going to tell me whether it's right or wrong and so like I was still smoking weed and still drinking and like I remember I was working and uh I was working with a guy that I used to hang out with back in the ecstasy days. And we were, I was, they lived across the street from my mom. So I was like, was, was hanging out with them over there one night. And these people showed up and I knew the people. And I knew what they were bringing. I knew what was going to happen. And I said, I'm going to go home because I'm not for that life anymore. You know, I'm not, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do dope anymore. And so I go home and the next day we're heading to work. And he was like, man, i got to tell you something. And I was like, what? And he goes, I did some shit last night. And I'm like, okay. And he was like, and I have a little on me. And I'm like, look. The only thing I said was, break me a line. And he broke me out of line. And I did a line while driving down the road, driving down the highway, headed to work. And the second that hit my nose, it was a wrap. Like, I had introduced that allergy back into my body, and I did not know how to stop it at that point, because I was living such a crazy, free life, because I didn't have a boyfriend to answer to, I didn't have anybody to answer to, I was making my own money, I had my own car, you know, I didn't have to listen to anybody, and I was still not aware of how crazy my addiction really is, and... So, you know, I'm working at, uh, the place that we were working at together and we were really just, I was working a lot of hours because I had dope and I was so blind as to see that the reason why I was doing so well at that job was because I was bringing dope into the place. I had a little vape pen that I used to put my dope in the vape pen and I would go hit it in the corner where the cameras were not. And I was, you know it was so normal for me to be doing that, that I knew that if I had the dope, I could get through the day. And, you know, it it was getting to the point where I was starting to kind of fall out and I was not seeing this pattern that I was putting myself in. Because if you'll realize through my stories that I'm very, very naive and very, very stubborn at times in my life. And In my addiction, it was extremely bad. And so I, you know, started partying a lot more. I uh, started calling into work. And because I would get trapped in the city that I would get my... I would get trapped in Wichita, where I would pick up my stuff. And I would get stuck up here. Like, I'd get stuck at a guy's house or waiting for the dope or, you know, walking around somewhere just out of my mind so I'd have to call into work and you know it's kind of like that's when it called kind of like really started getting bad but it's not as bad as it gets um in 2014 uh I had met a guy and we started dating and you know I was still doing dope at the time and I just didn't tell him about it and so I was like hiding it from him but he was a Hardcore alcoholic, and so in my mind, I was justifying the fact that if he can get so belligerently drunk and sit on the floor and cry to Miley Cyrus, then I can go do dope. Like, it's really easy because all I got to do is just let him get drunk, and then I just pretty much do it right in front of him, and I'm good. And so that went on for a little bit, and uh, I met him in February 2014, and then. Uh, September 7th, 2014, uh, we were, me and him were walking uh, at a park here in Wichita, it's called Riverside Park. And I had barely brushed my phone with my hand and I felt that it was vibrating. And I opened it and I saw that I had a couple missed calls and a couple text messages from Jamie. And so I uh, called her back and uh, she said that they had taken my dad to the ER and that he was unresponsive. And I was like, oh fuck. Like, I'm like, Patrick, we gotta go, we gotta go. And so we were walking back to our apartment. Well, speed walking back. And my mom called me and she said that he was gone. And <clears throat> that was the end-all be-all of the old Jesse. You know, that was everything that I had in my life at that time and throughout my whole life really was taken away. You know, I, you know, my dad was such a huge and vital part to my growing up in my life that it's hard to think that I had lost him in that moment. And <clears throat> so I was using any and everything I can to numb any feelings I had or to run away from them and uh, I like to say that if there was an Olympic sport for running away from your feelings, I would be a gold medalist every single time. Because if it was hard by any means, I was running. I ran, I ran, I ran. And when that happened, instead of turning it around and being there for my family who is feeling the exact same pain that I felt. I internalized the whole thing and it was my loss not theirs and I ran I started doing a lot of dope I started drinking a lot I started you know I mean Patrick uh we split up and and I mean that was that was kind of inevitable and uh So that was a a big thing, and then I uh, decided that I was going to kind of get my shit together a little bit, and I went back to uh, a job that I had, and I was working there for a little bit and got promoted, and everything was going good, and, you know, I was doing the right thing because I was working and making my own money, but I was still doing dope. I was smoking in the hot rooms, I was doing lines in the bathrooms, I was anything you could think of that I was doing at that place and there are reasons why I could work 50-60 hour weeks and be fine. (laughs) And so I uh, really dove into that. Well, I met a new guy and Jesse's M.O. is that when he's doing really, really well in his life, and then a guy steps in, he forgets everything that he's done in his life and he focuses on that guy. And it was another alcoholic, and he uh, would do the dope with me. So, like, why not? Like, it'll be fun, you know? And so I started calling into work because I was hanging out with him and having fun with him. And I eventually just quit that job well I quit that job and we were living with these people and we ended up doing a lot of stupid stuff at uh the house that we were at and I uh which I ended up catching charges for so again my drug addiction leads me to the orange jumpsuits every single time but I hadn't quite got caught for that quite yet but uh Me and him split up and I decided that I was going to go and do a boys weekend in Lawrence with a couple guys that I used to get dope from. And so we drove up to Lawrence and like I had a couple hundred dollars on me. And so like we were there and everybody in the hotel, like there was a bunch, we had a bunch of people over at our hotel and everybody in the hotel was shooting up and I was smoking it. And I'd always said, I'm never going to shoot up. Never going to do it. Well, I uh, broke that pipe. The only pipe that I had. And nobody would take me to get any. And I had done so many lines that my nose would not take that. And so, I just said, fuck it. Give me a shot. Like, let's do the damn thing. And they did not hesitate. Did not hesitate. And they even gave me a bigger shot than I was supposed to be getting. Like, so, they were pretty much just waiting for me to do it. And, so I did it. Well, the next morning, I, uh, kind of come back to reality because that was a doozy. And I come back to reality to a message saying that I need to make sure that the, the hotel is cleaned up by noon. And I said, okay, like, well, when are you guys going to be back? They're like, oh, no, we're passing, um, Emporia right now heading back to Wichita and I'm like what? like they had left me in Lawrence and they had taken all the money that I had in the bag and they had left me there with this weird dude that I didn't even know and so initially like this was a huge gigantic shock because like what am I gonna do? like I'm stuck nowhere and I can't call my family because like I just shot up last night there's no way that I could do this and I was just Crazy, and so I sat down in my crazy little mind. I rationalized the fact that I'm gonna use this as my spiritual journey, like, I'm gonna strip everything away from me and be homeless, and I'm gonna be a nomad, and I'm just gonna, you know, be one with the wind and you know, fulfill this spiritual journey that I've heard people talk about. But in all reality, my spirit, the spirit, the definition of my spiritual journey is going from one dude's house to the next dude's, next dude's house to the next dude's house, shooting dope below, shooting dope along the way. That's what I wanted to do. And I didn't care who I hurt or destroyed in my path. <clears throat> and, you know, because in my mind, I had been hurt so bad from the loss of my dad that I didn't think anybody else... I didn't think anybody else mattered. And... So I spent probably a good six months wandering around the northeastern part of Kansas and I was I was that crazy dude that liked to walk down the street in a Batman or a Ninja Turtle onesie in the middle of the day with a book bag and a duffel bag high out of my mind just listening to music and just being crazy on the side of the road that's me that's me when i get when i get to shooting too much dope that's what i do i crazy i'd lose my mind and you know the whole time i'm like i'm having so much fun blah 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 but the little bits of misery were starting to really pop into my life and i'm really starting to see this shit and So that ended up not working out because I was just tired of sleeping on the streets or having to do what I would have to do to get what I need or get a place to stay. And, you know, that's a a whole other really dark part that I'm not really going to go into detail about. But uh, I would do what I had to do. And I got tired of it. And so I called another best friend of mine from high school, and I said, will you please come get me? I'm at some casino in Kansas City. Like, I just want to come home. Like, I'm tired of this. I can't do this anymore. But in all reality, I was out of dope. And so I reached out to the only person that I knew would come get me in a heartbeat. And so she came and got me, and took me to my mom's house. And I was there one night, and uh, I was going to head over and see a couple of the friends that I had made back when I was working at the my that plant that I was working at. And I got over there, and we're, like, sitting outside, like, having a beer, and we look over, and these cops are, like, banging on this empty house on the corner, and we're just like, oh, it's a free show or whatever. Well, the cops came over there to come over to where we were, and they asked, is Jesse Brown here? And I said, yeah, that's me, and they said, you're under arrest. And I'm like, what, 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 for what? I had no idea because I was so blind to the things that I was doing that I was just leaving this gigantic paper trail of everything I did. And so that was the very first time I ever got arrested, and that was December 9th, 2015. It's crazy that I remember the dates. (laughs) But I... So I got arrested, and I spent a couple months in jail, and I got out on probation, and I... Wasn't done, you know. I, I always had this weird thing. Like I knew something was gonna happen, so I would like stash dope and a needle in my mom's basement. And I, the whole time I was in jail, I knew that I had a needle and I knew I had a bag at my mom's house. Had like the second I get out, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it. So I got out and, like, I spent a day there. And I'm like, I'm not gonna do it yet. I'm not gonna do it yet. And so I spent the day there and my mom went to sleep because she had to go to work early in the morning. And so I walked downstairs and I rigged up the needle and I did a shot. And I didn't last but three hours in the house. I was gone. And, uh, because I'm a runner. Like, I would rather run to something that I feel like is going to be more fun or more beneficial to me getting high than sit there and try to act cool or play like I'm asleep. And, um... So, I head out, and I'm off doing the same thing I was doing in Ken- the Kansas City area, but now I'm doing it in Wichita. And, uh, you know, I was, again, that crazy guy in the onesie that was walking down the street with a duffel bag and a, bu- a book bag, just listening to music with sunglasses on, in the middle of the summer, just hot as shit, high as fuck. And so I was off to the races again, and I had dipped out on my, my probation, And, so, I was up here, and I ran into some people that were fucking around with checks, and I wanted to get into it, because I knew that there was money there. And so I started dabbling a little bit in some checks, and it didn't take me very long before I was arrested, uh, so, (sighs) stupid shit. But I I was arrested, and so I went to jail for the second time. And when I got up there, I finally... It took me a couple months to get through that whole case, and then I realized that I had a hold on me for another county, which is the county that my first probation was in. And uh, I'm like, well, shit. So I went down there, and then I realized that I had another hold on me for a county up in Topeka, and so I had to go do that. So every time I went to jail... I was there for at least eight or nine months. And so bounce it back and forth, bounce it back and forth, bounce it back and forth. And I finally get out. And like I had a court date I had to go to. And I had all these plans that I was going to do this and I was going to do right. And this whole time, I'm not realizing that the recovery world even exists. I'm just doing this cold nut cold turkey and white knuckle and everything and not really focusing on what I do and so I get out and I again have dope at my mom's house and uh, so I go home my mom drives three hours to get me and that woman has done so much for me it's not even funny Uh, she drives three hours to get me and I go home and I didn't even hang out upstairs with her I went straight downstairs, and she went to bed, so, like, as soon as we got there, and so I went downstairs, and I did a shot, and I wasn't even done, like, even putting everything away before I already had plans to leave, and so I was, I up and left that night, but this time, I wasn't going back to Wichita, I was gonna do what I was gonna do in Wellington, because you know because if I change my environment or the city that I'm in then I'm good. So I started doing this stuff in Wellington and I came across a guy who was willing to pretty much just throw money at me and so I let him and we were at the gas station and I uh, just happened to look in his middle console and I realized that oh there's checks in there. And I'd already been high, and I'd already been doing the stupid stuff, and so I take it, and not but two hours later, I'm in handcuffs again, and uh, this time they caught uh, empty baggies and syringes on me, and so I go to jail for the third time, and of course this violates all of my other probations and so I was on another eight or nine month trip, and this time, uh, this time I knew I needed help. I knew something needed to change. I couldn't keep doing this. Like, I couldn't keep living this life. Uh, you know, it got to the point where my mom said, "I'm not gonna be there. Like, I'm not coming." You know, one of the last things that my mom said before I really changed my mind, she said, "I watched your father kill himself, and I will not watch you do it." And that hit such a chord with me that that I knew something needed to change. I knew something needed to change. And so I said, uh, I said, fuck it. I'll try treatment. Like, let me, let me go to treatment. Let me go to treatment. And a part of me was saying this just so I could get out of being, you know, in jail and kind of escaped a little bit of trouble. But a part of me felt like I really needed to. And uh, I remember I was... I had, I got treatment, but I had to go deal with my other cases first, and so I had a bed date, and I went, I was back up here in Central County, and I <clears throat> met a guy who was in recovery, and we stayed up all night long talking about recovery, and what, like, what, he, what he's doing, and what is going on out there, and he lit the fire in my recovery in a crazy way. Uh so when I finally got to my bed date and I finally got done with all my court stuff and out of jail and I was gung-ho for getting sober so I made it to treatment and I was working on myself and I was going to get this thing but in all reality I was so worried about making sure that everybody else was good because lo and behold Jesse's a people pleaser and uh, I was making sure that everybody else around me was doing their shit and they were making sure that I was going to make sure that I was going to save them before they left. And so I get through treatment my whole 28 days and I get out of treatment and I did not last three days. I went on a crazy four day binge and I went harder than I've ever done before and in those four days, I had lost everything that I had kind of gotten back again, and I don't regret that relapse one bit. That relapse showed me how crazy my addiction is and how fast it will excel. You know, I, I, I usually use my hands, but I can't show you my hands, but like imagine like I have my recovery or my addiction level is right here. If my recovery level is not two or three times higher than my addiction level, my addiction will whip its ass every single time. I know how my brain works. And so I went and I went on the four day bender and I had another, I had one of my first real like spiritual experiences, uh, And I didn't realize it at the time, but I realize it now. I had somehow got down to my PO's office from where I was, and I don't remember getting there. I don't remember what was said. I don't remember how it all came about. I just remember kind of coming to in detox, and that I had made my way there, and I just laid everything out. So... In my eyes, God is what really took my feet and walked my happy ass down to where I needed to go and then used my body to make me say, hey, like, I need help again. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. And so I go to detox and I get out and I move into a sober living environment. And I am setting at 480 days today, clean from that time, and in that time, I not only got a sponsor, I not only work the steps, I not only do service work, but I sponsor people, I work my ass off for my recovery, you know, I, there's not one thing that I don't want to be involved in. Like, I am so passionate about my recovery that I do what I can even if it means not having a personal life if that makes any sense because like I I have a full time job now that I've been at for almost a year I have a fucking cute little apartment that I worked my ass off to get I have a cat her name is Joanne and she's a sassy little bitch uh but I also have a life. I have my family back. I have beautiful friends that are all in recovery. And when I need something or if I need help, they are there to help me. And when they need help, I have the opportunity to be there to help them. I have seen so much growth in people in this program, and that is what fuels my service work. If you, if you ever get a chance to sponsor somebody and you catch them when they're new, and then you start to see that light click back on in their eyes, that is what the magic of this program is. That is where I thrive in my life. Seeing and helping everybody else, giving back what was so freely given to me, is what I do. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. I love it. I am a service junkie. I used to be a dope junkie, but now I am a service junkie. Uh, I—it's so hard to talk about this sometimes because, like, I get so like amped up about it, and because I, I care about it so much, and I don't know if you can hear, but it's storming outside. Um, but I care about my life and my recovery so much that I will fight for it. You know, I have the opportunity to. Be an uncle, or a gunkle, which is a gay uncle, to my sister's very first baby. And I have the opportunity to be there. You know, my sobriety doesn't just give me little things back. It has given me huge things. And it's not just given to you. And I always stress this. You don't just get things back. You have to fight for it. You have to want it and you have to work for it. Because if you can't work for it, then you're not doing yourself any good. There are reasons why I can do the things that I do because I got in the rooms, I got a sponsor, and I worked those fucking steps. Like, those steps saved my life. If I was to go back out, I don't know if I can make it back in. And that thought alone scares me so much that I know that if I do not take this life seriously then that's exactly where I'm going to be in a wooden box. And who am I to take that away from anybody? That sounded really, uh... <laughs> that sounded really, uh, egotistical. But who am I to do this to somebody? You know what I mean? Because... My sobriety is contingent on everything. like. But my family is the most important, important, most important part of my life today. And throughout my entire addiction, my family was put on the back burner because I knew that all I had to do was tap back into that with a sob story, and I got them back. But when it got to the point and they took that away from me, I didn't know what to do. So, I fight every single day just to keep moving forward for myself. And, you know, my life is beautiful. It really is. Life sucks. It does sometimes. But this program has given me the tools that when life throws me those curveballs, I can hit them. You know, I. uh, I say all the time that I don't plan my life because you never know what tomorrow will bring. But the one thing I do plan is I plan my recovery because sometimes planning my recovery means a simple five minute plan. If I can get through the next five minutes without getting high or doing something out of old behaviors because in my mind, a relapse is not just getting high. Because if I relapse on old behavior, that old behavior could lead me down that road again. So if I can get through that next five minutes, then I've done something good. And sometimes, literally, all we can do is say, I made it through this five minutes, and I'm not fucking crazy. And, you know, all the sayings that are in those rooms, like, keep it simple, stupid, and, you know, one day at a time, they mean something. There is nothing that they do not say in those rooms that don't mean anything. Those things have been around for years because they work. You know, so... I am a 12-step pusher. I will always push those 12 steps. The people that are close to me, and I'm always hounding on them, like, did you do it? Did you do it? Did you do it? Did you do it? Because I know what it's done, and I know what it can do. And... Being able to do this podcast is something that I've always kind of, like, had in the back of my mind, like, oh, I want to do something like that, but, like, am I really going to do it? Like, but no. But I literally wasn't going to make this episode until next week, but the fire has been lit in me again, and I just sit here, and I'm at almost an hour of just talking, and it's my story, and the beautiful thing about my story is that it is my story, It has a lot of similarities to what you've done, I'm sure. But it is my story. And if I can go from being that hopeless, dope junkie to this hopeful, fucking happy, service junkie, fucking crazy, belligerent, happy person, (laughs) then you can too. There's not one things. There's not... There's not anything that we cannot do. You will be baffled at the crazy stuff that you can do if you just simply try. I have witnessed some of the craziest miracles in people, of people that were so down and out, that have amazing jobs, that just got their kids back, that have a life back, that have these things, and it's because they got in these rooms and they did the work. So, if I can give you any advice to anybody who's listening, just do the work. You can do it if you just do it. Do not stand in your own way anymore. Like, there's nothing that you can't do. Get a sponsor. Work the steps. And stop being miserable. There's a life out there to be lived. And believe me, when I tell you it is beautiful it is beautiful so that's pretty much my story and I'm going to go ahead and stick to that but uh thank you for everybody who has tuned in liked the page followed the page like without you guys I know that I can't do this and so I really hope that you guys kind of liked what I got going on here And I hope that you guys continue to follow and like my stuff. Uh, I just want to get the word out there that addiction is overcome. You can overcome addiction. That it's possible to do. You do not have to sit there and you don't have to be miserable anymore. So, share the page, follow the page, like the page, tell your friends about it. It's called Paroled from Hell. And again, you see my pretty face on there. Uh, so please just get on there give it a shout give it a like and share it let's get the word out that we do not have to sit in this fucking mess anymore and I'm just repeating myself now so I'm going to go ahead and just stop right here Uh, thank you guys so much for listening and I will see you next time